The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John. Pause with me today. A very special guest, former WWE announcer, interviewer, former WWE announcer, global uh, wrestling, um, sorry, <laughs> GWF, not global force. I was always make that uh, faux pas. But, That's uh, a different crowd entirely. Yeah, yeah, way different. This is talking about early 90s global wrestling federation. He is, of course, Mr. Scott Hudson. Scott, welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing? It is fantastic to be with you and that that background you just gave me uh especially uh the global wrestling federation back on the espn days um i'm doing the 20th anniversary of tna coming up in about a month in nashville and it hit me when i got the invitation to that from scott demore that it's been 20 years ago that tna started and that was after wcw which was seven or eight years after the ESPN thing on global. So my God, I'm old. Yeah. Jesus God. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to get a wheelchair and you know, a, a bunch of vodka. I mean, my God, man. I'm. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching global wrestling federation on ESPN. I mean, got when I was a kid, I mean, we're talking, uh, almost 30 years ago. I mean, it, it, well, I guess it really is 30 years ago. So long, long time it's ago. More, it, was actually, it was 1991 yeah. when we went out to, uh, when we went out to Dallas to do the ESPN show, we would do uh, the ESPN show on Friday night and then another, and then do the, uh, the syndicated strip shows on Saturday night at the Sportatorium down at International Katie's in South Dallas. And that was 31 years ago. My God, that's that's it. I'm, I'm going to have to leave you right there. Uh, you know, the nurse is coming. I've got some insure to drink, and uh, I need to be in bed by eight. So what what are you up to lately? We'll get back into global, of course, but what have you been up to lately? Anything wrestling-related besides what's coming up for TNA? Um, frankly, not much. Um, I, I am thrilled to say that I work for you. I, I, I work for the federal government. I've been doing that line of work in the criminal justice field since 1985. And I always did wrestling as a hobby uh, because I'm a Mark and et cetera. So I am next March. I will retire after 38 years of service to you and to our country. So that's about it. As far as wrestling, I'll do the odd legends show here in Georgia um, I live out on the Lake Country, um, at Lake Sinclair and Lake Oconee, and I'll do those shows, but pretty much nothing. I've, I've, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> With, you know, wrestling, obviously, how did you actually get in? Was it through, like, dirt sheets and stuff? And, like, were you writing before you actually got into Global? Yeah, that's exactly right. Your, your, your question's exactly right. I was uh, a, a mark since 1970 when I started watching with my granddad and, um, and somehow I lucked into, I think because I subscribed to, uh, Oh my God, I cannot remember the name of the magazine, 
that was the it was first upon times magazine it wasn't uh apter and and stanley west i subscribed to those two but i subscribed to uh napolitano's magazine and somehow dave Meltzer of the wrestling observer newsletter got there and I'm, i might be giving inside info here but got their um subscription addresses and sent me a free copy of the observer this was 84 and i read it and thought this is exactly what i've been looking for so i started uh corresponding with with dave and and covering independent shows in Georgia and Florida and Alabama. And then later, um, WCW TV tapings. And I had been an announcer. I did, uh, I was a disc jockey down in Sifton. And I did uh, high school and college sports on the radio. Those two things. And just you still with us? You still there? Uh, you cut out just to, just to, for a second. Um, still a little grainy on on hearing you. You were you were just kind of going through where you kind of ended up and what like where you were covering wrestling. Yeah, it was. Um, writing for the uh, for the dirt sheets, um, for the uh, Observer, and for uh, the Torch, and for Arena Reports with Ron Lemieux and Matt Watch with Steve Beverly. Um, I just met, met the right people. Um, I had been an announcer um, for high school and college sports, and that was it. When I moved to Atlanta, uh, that was it. When when I when I went to a couple of shows and said. Uh, again, the magic words, I'll work for free. Off we go. So how do you go from writing about it to becoming like on TV, announcing? I know you said you had a little bit of an announcing background, but how do you kind of like break in, break in and become a TV announcer of all things? Well, it, uh, again, it's timing. It's luck. Um, and I, I can't stress enough. Back, at, back in the day, this was 33 years ago. 1988-89 I was willing to work for free you know and that's that's the bottom line like anything else if you're whatever you're going to do if you're going to do acting in movies acting in TV you're going to do music you're you're going to work for free just to get the break and get noticed and that's what I did and I wanted it I worked hard and you know met the right people was nice to them they were nice to me and off we go Coming from like dirt sheets to getting in, was it like was there any sort of stigma? Was people against you at all? Like as far as as going from one world to another? Not really. You would think that, and that's that's a great question. But back then, and again, this is 88, 89, 90, um, we were all just trying to make money. And everybody in the business had at that point, everything was in a transition that you weren't necessarily trained by someone in a in a dark gym uh, somewhere with a rain. But you weren't supposed to tell anybody. So it was that transition where my background allowed me to get there, but I wasn't uh, ostracized because of my background. It was it was a, a real. Um, Strange time that the business had ever been through, and once on the other side of that in the early 90s, uh, never was going to go through again because everybody by that point was smart uh, and reading the sheets, and there were 500,000 wrestling schools around around the country. What did you think of Dave, Dave Meltzer, and, and you know, what he was doing? Because obviously, you know, he could be somewhat polarizing at times. Yes, I think the world of Dave, to this day, to whatever today is, May 24th, 2022, uh, I think the world of Dave, I, th I think he has helped the business expand. And even in the mid-80s when Vince was, you know, buying up territories and, and, and hitching his wagon to Hulk and, and eventually Savage and then later Warrior, I think Dave 
pretty much understood that the business was changing, not just the business that you see on on television and in the arenas, but the print version of the business. And this was 20 years before the Internet. Um, and so it was those typewritten dirt sheets that he and Wade did and Steve Beverly and, again, Ron Lemieux um, and John McAdam that they put out. They were reinventing wrestling media. I, I have absolutely nothing but the highest respect for Dave and for what he did for, for me and for the business uh, and for the wrestling media business uh, back from the mid-'80s all the way through to today. I feel like people do get him like confused where they, they mix his star ratings and what he likes and the subjective stuff with like his his base yeah. stuff, which is his history stuff, which is great. I mean, I have a bunch of his books. His history stuff is great. His his uh, obituaries are great. I mean, his his, his knowledge and his facts are great. Subjective stuff, I mean, that's hit or miss. I mean, that's a if you like his star ratings and stuff like that. But I feel like his history stuff is the best. Uh, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of folks that do do well at that. I'm I, I'm currently reading uh, Blood and Fire, the Brian Solomon uh, biography of the Sheik, which is outstanding. But I think what Dave did was lay the foundation for for that type of journalism and that type of publishing and that type of writing. Um, it just wasn't done. To to use an analogy, and I don't want to make this comparison lightly. You think of the Beatles. Back when, when I, before I was born, like 62, 63, um, you go back and listen to their music back then and you think, okay, well, that's pretty good. It's not groundbreaking. It's okay. It's the early Beatles. But nobody was doing it except them back then. And what you look at with, with Dave, with the Observer, um, yeah, he had some, there, there were some problems you could pick it apart, but Nobody else was doing it. He was inventing it from the ground up, and I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for that. Do you like that world for yourself, or do you prefer, like, okay, I like being in the business, like on TV, working for an actual company, or do you like kind of the outside looking in? I would, I would much rather be on the outside looking in. After being in the business uh, from various perspectives from 1985 until right now, I would much still rather be that, you know, 13-year-old Mark in, in 1977 watching Georgia Championship and Championship Wrestling from Florida and, and Gulf Coast from Dothan and Mid-Atlantic from uh, the Crockett Promotions. I'd much rather be there. Much rather. Not even close. So when you're in and you start working for Global, like, do you get in through? I know you said like you, you work for free stuff, but are you friendly with like Joe Pettisino? Like, yes. how do you actually start working for them? Um, my best friend in the world is Stephen Prezak. Still is to this day. He's actually part of a group that's coming up to my house this weekend to go out for Memorial Day, and Steve and I would go to every independent show we could find. Uh, in Atlanta, in the metro Atlanta area, North Georgia, back back in the late 80s. We went to a show in Carrollton, and I'll, I'll make this quick. The ring announcer was horrible. He wasn't smart to the business, and he just wasn't smart at all. He was calling women by men's names. He was calling masked guys by unmasked guys' names. And I went up to Petticino, who was the promoter, and I just said, I don't know what you're paying that guy, but I'll do it for nothing. And he said, you're hired. The next show is in two weeks. And that was it. And it was just luck, timing, working for free, you know, seeing an opportunity and, and striking out. And it, and, it, and it worked out. What did you actually think about like global the product? Like, did you like what they were putting out? Did you like them trying to revamp Dallas and the Sportatorium and kind of the direction that they were headed? The yes, uh, the answer to the question is yes. But the the bottom line was the business was evolving back then. The the uh, you know the Von Erichs had you know a few of them had, unfortunately had passed away. Uh, the the Dallas market had. Um, had cratered and was trying to be rebuilt. 
Jerry Jarrett had done that with the USWA and world-class battle and merger that he had done um, a couple of years before. Um, but it was tough. When, when we started the Global Wrestling Federation in 1990, um, Dallas was still a hot market, but it wasn't anything close to what it had been in 85 with the Von Erichs and the Freebirds and, and all of that other stuff. So it, it was tough. And it was difficult to find anything that would work. So Joe came in and brought in some, some familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces to Dallas, but familiar nationally. Uh, and, and, for the, and for the longest time, it worked. We had, we had full crowds at the Sportatorium down in South Dallas. Uh, we were doing great numbers on, on ESPN and on the syndicated uh, strip shows. Uh, but yes, absolutely. I love the product, love the guys. And again, we see people like, um, like Mark Bagwell and Scott Levy and Sean Waltman and uh, Mick Foley and Terry Gordy, who was already a name, but other uh, uh, Jerry Lynn and folks like that who were just getting started in the business. And we were bringing them in as, as rookies or two years in and showcasing them on a national cable sports network, doing the best we could to get them and the product over. So it was it was a wonderful time. Pretty good talent. John Tatum, yeah. Rod Price, the Patriot, yeah. uh, Doug Gilbert, obviously, the Harlem Heat would, would come through there. I mean, it's pretty good as far as talent. Absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a laundry list. What Those you just said, the ones I mentioned, um, it was Steve Austin came through there. Um, and it, 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 it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great training ground and it was, uh, a, an incredible place to learn the business, not only as an announcer, uh, that's one thing you can really learn that anywhere, but as a wrestler, um, that th those guys were learning and learning from the best, uh, Cornette was in there. Stan Lane was in there. Two guys I think the world of, it was a lot of fun. I, I just have nothing but positive memories of working in Dallas for the ESPN show was wonderful. Do you think ESPN helped or hurt global? Because I've actually talked to Rod Price and he was saying it might've actually hurt because they it had a, not homogenized, but it was PG more so, but less blood and violence because ESPN. But what do you think about that? Did ESPN hurt or help? Uh, that's a, that's a great point from Rod. I, I don't disagree with that, but we were trying to be different at the time. WCW was not, doing so hot that was when they had been through the uh the george scott booking and they had the issue with dusty uh booking and the problems there and the wwf had their issues and that's gosh an entirely different show so we saw the opening we saw the uh the path that we could forge and and do it uh but espn i i don't recall them and i i wasn't in that that frame of things i don't recall them doing anything with us uh that that hurt the product uh it was basically put on a wrestling show now we didn't do blood and barbed wire wrapped baseball bats and and juice and all that other stuff but that wasn't what we were trying to do we were trying to put on something as an alternative to wcw and to the wwf at the time how do you become like play by play when you start doing more announcing and stuff? Like, how do you, how do you kind of get that role? It's just something that led to there or did you ask for? It? No, I did what I was told. Uh, when Joe Pettacino and Bonnie Blackstone uh, and Pettacino, who's been passed away now for a couple of years, just my mentor, one of my best friends up until the day he passed. Uh, and then folks like Bill Eady and Eddie Gilbert, especially, I, I, I worked for them when, when they would tell me, here's what we're going to do. I'm still, you know, I'm a, I'm a high school and college sports announcer who's written for the dirt sheets. I'm not going to tell Billy and Eddie Gilbert and Joe Petticino. I oh, know that doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't think you're right. I'm going to do what I'm told. And, right. and it worked. 
What did you think like when global starts to you know fade away a bit? Like were you like, oh man, like this was a great chance to be in the business? Were you upset? Like were you thinking like this was the end, or like, what did you think about as global is kind of ending? Well, the whole th- that's a great question. And the entire time that I was doing the Global Wrestling Federation show was also doing the North Georgia Wrestling Alliance show in Georgia. Um, and and we had, I'm going to say, five or six television outlets in the North Georgia uh, market, as it were. So we, we were part of the uh, Saturday Night Superstars uh, eight-hour block on Channel 69 in Atlanta with the North Georgia show, in addition to WCW, WWF, uh, Global, Puerto Rico, uh, uh, Pacific Northwest, the Don Owen promotion, um, and Pro Wrestling This Week that Joe did with uh, Paul Lee and, and Gordon alternately. Um, so, we, you know, I, I was still doing Georgia. So when Global started to go south, the only thing that meant to me was I didn't have to fly to Dallas every week, which was fine. Uh, you know, we still did the Georgia show and kept that going until WCW called. So who calls you from WCW? How do you get in? Um, I had become friends with a lot of the guys in WCW at the time. Uh, Paige, uh, Canyon, uh, Scotty, Levy, Raven, uh, Disco, Inferno, Glen Gilberti, and uh, and and we had we would all get together on the pay per view nights at somebody's house and watch the pay per view. In my shoot job, and this is a long story, I'll make it quick. In my shoot job, I had been lucky enough in 1995 to be named Employee of the Year. I had done well. Leave it at that. We had our annual uh, award ceremony at a place called the Abbey in Atlanta, an old 18th or 19th century church that had been turned into a restaurant. It was a gorgeous place. I just got my employee of the year award. It was wonderful. The waiter, the maitre d' comes up to me and says, are you Mr. Hudson? I said, yes, I am. There's a phone call for you. This is the days before cell phones. There's a phone call for you at the front desk. So I, you know, I'm thinking it is, you know, working in the criminal justice system that happens. So I go up to the front desk and I answer the phone, and all I hear is, yo, Scooter, this is DDP. And it was Paige that I knew from going to the shows. And he said, I got somebody who wants to talk to you, and it was Eric Bischoff. And Eric said, we've got a spot open, and we think you'd be good. Everybody speaks highly of you. Can you come down and audition on Tuesday? And that was it. Wow, look at that. DDP helping you out, it seems like. Yes, Very Absolutely. Cool. Oh, 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 an incredible amount to Paige. Thank the world of him, too. So what did you think about WCW at that point? Like, you, you're first in there. Are you sensing any politics or, you know, anything that people no. like to say, like, oh, this is going on backstage? No, none at all. Keep in mind, I came in as the third team announcer. I was what Eric was mm-hmm. uh, before Eric got to be the boss. I was what Chris Cruz was. Um, I'm, I'm just a low level doing international syndication, doing the Sunday WCW pro show. I'm just trying to keep my head down and learn how to do television and wrestling at this level. So no, I didn't see any of that stuff. None. What did they think of like you when you obviously, you know, they make you third string nets, but they must've liked you to hire you. You know what I mean? I guess so. I mean, yeah, they, they brought me in. Um, I I, I, uh, I I can't say anything more. I can't put words in their mouth, but yeah, it worked. They brought me in. I, I, I worked hard. I did everything I was told and, and would still do that today. If Eric called today and said, hey, we're going to start WCW up again, are you game? I mean, just yes, say when and where. I'm there. So what shows were you doing at that point? Oh, my God. At the beginning, it was WCW Pro which was the Sunday afternoon show at five o'clock on TBS. And then um, the international syndication shows, which is exactly what you think. Uh, they air everywhere except the United States. Um, and that's it. That's, that's the C-Team announce, announce uh, oeuvre, as it were. 
It's funny. People think like WWF was big time, but WCW had so many hours of TV everywhere, syndication, oh whatever. God. I remember watching yeah. WCW Prime with usually Chris Cruz and Dusty would be the announcer. And that was right. like syndicated. I think it was on my channel nine for like an hour. It was just like random stuff. But then you had Saturday night and main event and pro sure. and then eventually Nitro Thunder and everything else. But yeah. it feels like WCW had so many hours of programming. A, a ton, a ton of programming. It's way more than you think. When you think of a three-hour pay-per-view once a month and then two or three hours, depending on when, when we're talking about, on TNT on Monday night, and then eventually the two hours on uh, TBS for Thunder and always the two hours on TBS Saturday night and then two different syndicated shows, international syndication. You know, you're, you're pushing 20 hours of, of programming every week. It was just crazy to think, and I know WWE had so many wrestlers, but then you got Worldwide thrown in there too, for, oh. you know, down at, down at Disney and stuff. I mean, there was just so so much TV. Right. Um, do you do you think that's like okay, it might be too much as far as like we're putting together too well, much TV? I understand the question, but you've got to strike while the iron's hot, and the wrestling business has been notorious for making all of the money that it can from whatever revenue stream they can identify yeah. while they can because at some point it's going to dry yeah. up all the way back to the 50s with the dumont network airing uh wrestling nationally well that went away but they made the money while they could and wcw did the same thing and the wwe and aew and uh, uh, ring of honor and impact and everybody else is doing the same thing and that's fine that's what we were doing back then what do you think about Eric Bischoff? Great. I, I've been lucky enough in my shoot job and in the wrestling business to work for some fantastic supervisors and bosses. And I've said this at a couple of these conventions and stuff and Starcasts uh, that of all the bosses I've had in any career that I've pursued, uh, criminal justice, radio, television, um, the best boss I've ever had was Eric Bischoff. And as we sit here today, I say the same thing. It's funny. And I see all this negative stuff about Bischoff online. I just laugh. I'm like, okay, Vince McMahon's been around for 40 years. His dad was around for 30 before that, or, you know, whatever it was, 20, 25 years before that. No one's beaten these guys. You know what I mean? They're the kings True. of the castle. They're the top guys. Yep. Eric Bischoff is the only one that's ever beaten a McMahon in the last 65 years, 70 years, whatever you want to say, throw Jess McMahon in there too. Cause I know Vince's grandfather was a promoter. Nobody's sure. beaten these guys. He did it. So you say whatever you want, ATM Eric and you know, all the other nonsense, nobody else beat Vince ever. And you think I'm going to say something bad about the guy that did that? <laughs> right. Never. Right. Uh, Eric, if you're watching, just say when and where I'm old now, but I can still <laughs> do it. Just say the word. We'll start up again. Whenever you want. Do you think, though, a little bit of that could be jealousy from some of the people? Like, they wish they were in that spot. You know what I mean? Of like, course. Like, that's got to play a part in it. Absolutely. You look at the at the folks that came through WCW as the, uh, the, the executive producer or the vice president, whatever title it was they gave Eric, uh, like Bill Watts and Kip Fry uh, that came through and, and did good, bad, or indifferent they couldn't compete with the WWF. And then when Eric got there, who was me? Who was the third team announcer that came in and convinced people that he knew what he was doing and son of a gun beat him for 83 weeks um, and made money hand over fist. You, you, you have to appreciate what the man can do. It's amazing just to think, you know, where WWE was, you know, I still love WWE. I used to watch it religiously, but you know they weren't making the money Vince was and WWF was, and they weren't no. the powerhouse. Were you sure. shocked just to see, like, oh my god, like we're beating them? Okay, we're you know slowly but surely we're beating them, and it's going back and forth when Nitro first starts. Really, the Nitro first show. I mean, boom, you know, it's it's a win. Were you surprised to see, like, almost immediately, it's like, oh wow, Eric's onto something here with like Nitro and really starting to beat Vince. Uh, well, I wasn't in the company then. I'm still just a mark doing uh, the North Georgia Wrestling Alliance uh, and, and amazed at like everybody else was. 
that he had Lex come in uh, that first night uh, out of nowhere and then had Liger and Pillman um, in the in the you know the food court of the Mall of America in Minneapolis yeah. uh, you, you, it's 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 yeah I I knew I, I I I sensed something then I said this isn't like you know big time wrestling this isn't like mid-atlantic championship wrestling this isn't isn't even like raw uh, something's changed tonight and this is going to be a fun ride. And then I got asked to, you know, board the train. It was awesome. Today's episode is brought to you by athletic greens. Our partner has a product. I literally use every day. I started using AG one because I really didn't have the time to work out. I wanted better gut health. I wanted more energy. I want to optimize my immune system. I hate taking pills. I hate taking vitamins, but I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. So I looked into Athletic Greens, and they are a lifestyle-friendly brand. It's whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, they contain one less gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. They support better sleep quality and better recovery. They support mental clarity and alertness. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. AG1 is one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. It costs you less than $3 a day. Think about it. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself, and you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. For each purchase, we will donate organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. In 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. Right now, to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year free. That is right, folks. One free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Were you surprised at like, okay, they're rolling low in nitro, but 83 weeks of dominance. Really, if you really like digest or really look into the numbers, it's like 90 weeks in a row, really, of dominance. And it's really, yeah. I think it was like 104 out of 117. I forget like the exact number, but it was crazy. It's basically two years in a row of, of like of dominance. You just surprised because yeah. this is, oh, this is a little old WCW wrestling here. You know what I mean? It, it, versus <laughs> Vince's WWF. That sounds like Vince imitating <laughs> yeah. Ted Turner. Yes, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't speak for Eric or or Vince Russo or Kevin Sullivan or Terry Taylor or anybody else in a position of creative authority there, but I don't think they thought we could do that. Uh, it it just happened. We got lightning in a bottle. We got the NWO, uh, and then we had Goldberg, uh, and then we had everything underneath. Eric's big thing was the umbrella booking have something that covers all of the undercard and then, you know, and it, and it raises everybody else up. Um, so no, I don't think anybody saw it coming, but when, you know, when we hit and we hit hard, uh, you know, we, we all tripled down on the work so we could keep it going. We knew what we had. What was the first day you worked there? Like, was it early 96? Uh, you, yeah, it'd have to be, um, I, I go down to, uh, um, the WCW studios, which at the time were located in the CNN building. If you've ever been to Atlanta, uh, the CNN building is right next to Centennial Olympic park. 
at the time next to the Omni. Now it's that's been blown up and they built State Farm Arena um, and Mercedes-Benz Stadium and my office building, which is the federal courthouse, which is across the street. That's where all of that is. They call me down there. And here's the story. I'll make this quick. I walk in and I sit there and it's got this huge WCW facade on the wall. And Keith Mitchell, who was a god among men to me, st- sticks his head out after about 10 minutes. He goes, are you Scott? I said, I am. He goes, hang tight. We'll be with you in just one second. So 10, 15 minutes later, Keith sticks his head out again and says, okay, Scott, we're ready. So I'd walked over from my office. I'm still dressed up in a suit, you know, whatever. And I walk in through the door Keith was sticking his head out of, and I'm on the set of WCW Pro with Bobby Heenan, whom I've never wow. met ever in my wow. life. And uh, I, I think it, it was Keith was the floor director, and he said, okay, Scott, you're the host. Bobby's your straight man. We're going to do a 60-second toss. And he told me, you know, you know what pay-per-view's coming up. And I, I did, thank goodness. Uh, just do 60 seconds, toss back and forth to Bobby, see what your uh, chemistry is, and make sure you get out on your mark. In three, two, and that was it. And I did that. And I hit my mark. I made my time. Bobby and I got along, and they hired me on the spot. It was well, I was either going to screw it up and never be in the business or have the run that I did based on what happened in those 60 seconds. Did you like the way they did that? Cause they didn't let you think about it. You know what I mean? They just like go, you, you know, they threw you out there to the fire. Well, that's, that, that's live TV. Uh, if you can't hang doing that in a studio, there's no way you're going to hang with that doing it in front of 18,000 people, you know, on a Monday night. So yeah, that was fine. What did you think about working with the, you know, the legend, Bobby, the brain, he, I know you said he got along, but what did you think about working with him? No, he was, he was fantastic. He was, uh, he was uh, exactly what you think. He was he was fun. He was funny. He was a pro. And as I was doing the uh, the audition, um, when it was over, he was complimentary. You did good. You didn't know it was coming. That's excellent. That's you know he he was everything you could possibly want. What like eventually kind of gets you more and more like involved as far as like being on TV more rather than just the C string? Like, how do you kind of move up? <laughs> I, w- I, I, w- I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, they just, you know, one week they called me and said, Hey, how would you like to do WCW Saturday night? And to me, it was that show's been Gordon Soley or Tony Schiavone since. 1973 and now you want it to be me yes absolutely where do i go what do i sign and you know that it it just kept kept getting handed to me because i worked hard i didn't play the politics i just uh, i still a mark i I just wanted to put the product over did you have to like i know this could maybe like a stupid question but did you have to study at all or did everything kind of come naturally as far as the wrestlers and and their you know, their routines and their matches and, and their characters. Did you have to study it all? Or you knew all that. Oh already? God. All, all the time, all the time. Thankfully at that point was when the internet started coming into play. Uh, there wasn't a lot of video to watch, but there was an awful lot of research you could do. And so I did that as, as, as much as I could so that we could. And, and Mike today was a, a tremendous help through that. And Tony Schiavone as well, that it was a lot about, you know, who are we talking about? Why are they here and why are they good? Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of homework, a lot of homework. What did you think about working with the professor, Mike Tenay? He seems like, uh, you know, he seems like he knows everything. You know what I mean? He seems like he just a wealth of knowledge. It, he doesn't seem that way. He does. Uh, <laughs> smartest guy about the business I think I've ever encountered. Uh, he, he knew everything. Shivani is kind of like the guy uh, like that about baseball. You know, he'll know the starting infield of the 76 Pirates. He's one of those guys about yeah. baseball. Mike is the same way about wrestling. And on my best day, uh, I don't, you know, Mike's forgotten more than I will ever learn about the business. I was lucky, lucky to work with him.
man, WCW had so many good announcers. I always thought about that. I mean, you're great. Uh, today's great. Shivani. I love Dusty. You know what I mean? It just seems like they always had good announcers there, and they had almost like too many good announcers. I mean, I guess you need it because you had so many shows, but it almost seems like you guys had like a, a dearth of great announce team. Well, it helps. I mean, it's part of it's part of the uh, the uh, the equation that you can have you know good uh, wrestlers in the ring, but you're putting on a television product, and you've got to be able to sell the taste the rainbow of fruit flavors Skittles replay of the week. You know, you've got to have somebody that can put that over. That's different than putting over a match in the ring. So we all knew our role. Uh, we knew how to how to tell the story, how to keep the you know the 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 interest level up when the guys in the ring may have brought it down to get you know to regroup and and plot out what's next. Uh, we would keep the keep the interest level up. It was it was uh, kind of a ballet between uh, the guys in the ring and the guys on the mic. The guys in the ring doing ninety percent of the work. Please don't misunderstand. What did you think when the NWO comes? You get Hall, you get Nash, Hogan turns heel. Did you really feel like kind of what the fans felt like? This is changing the business, like complete. I know I always say it's like the guys today that say game changers I always die laughing because I'm like, no, the NWO, those are like, that's game changers. Hogan turning heel, Hall and Nash, like they changed the business forever. Like, did you feel that when you're with WCW? Like, man, something is really, really different here. Like, this is completely Absolutely. Changing. Absolutely. It was the first time there had been a a real uh, cross promotion invasion type thing, not like the invasion of two thousand one, but when Rick went to the WWF um, early in the nineties, that that hit to a degree, but nothing hit like Kevin and Scott, and eventually Ted and 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 Scott Waltman or Sean Waltman rather coming down to WCW. That and, and Hulk being the third man from Bash at the Beach in '96, nothing hit like that. Um, and that's all. That's all. You know, Scott and Kevin and Sean um, and and Hulk. But that would the idea was was Eric's. Do you think like okay, it's it's a, it's a great two year run. But do you think that anything held it back from? No, I mean it's hard to say be longer. But I mean, did politics? Did, did something else kind of hold it back from like obviously Vince and, and Steve Austin come along too? So I mean that doesn't help. But do you think uh -huh. that something with backstage politics hurt you know WCW and the NWO in the long run? Uh you can you can make the case that um, some of the talent having creative control. Uh, redirected it. I won't say held it back, but redirected it from the direction that may have been best for business to coin a phrase from Hunter. Um, but as far as holding it back, no, that was a, that was a, 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 a locomotive. We, we couldn't stop that if we wanted to. When you're, you know, announcing it and stuff like that, do you feel like the energy in the building, like, oh, God, like something's going to happen. Because, you know, as a fan, you're watching. It's like, okay, Sting's up in the rafters. You know, who knows? I mean, are you feeling like, because sometimes, it, oh, it's just a job. It's it's boring. But, like, as an announcer, do you feel like the energy of, of like, okay, this is, we're on to something here. This is great. This is great TV. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and and for, to, to illustrate that, we would... We, me and, and Tony and Mike and, and Mark Madden and whoever else was, was at the table, for the most part, we would ask not to be told what was going to happen because we, we were professionals and we wanted to have our real emotions sell what we saw. So what, when, when, the, the, and sometimes it was so, crazy that they had to tell us but for the most part we would not know the only thing we would know was who was going over because we would want to know who's going to be on the replay the skittles taste the rainbow or fruit flavor instant replay of the week we wanted to know who's in that but otherwise we didn't know we didn't know how they were getting there and we wanted to be able to sell it um to the folks watching or Valvoline. Valvoline was also a big uh, yeah. sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or eventually Surge. Surge, the like that 
Surge was, yeah. Yeah, it was, was, was that soda. trucking company that was on there for a while. can't remember who that was. Anyway. Yeah, it'll come to me. But yeah, there there's so many good uh, the sponsorships for you. 1-800-COLLECT was, a, was another big one. 1-800-COLLECT, yes. Yeah. Wow. That was the yeah. old uh, Lee Marshall. Uh, they always sponsored his uh, Nitro Party stuff. His road report, yeah, yep. The road report, yeah. yeah, yeah. He always took a dig at Bobby the Brain. He always goes, "I'm going weasel hunting," or you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I miss those guys. Yeah. Man, there, there's another Lee Marshall, another guy that that they scooped up, and Eric it was really good as an announcer too. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many uh, good announcers in WCW. When you guys are like going along and you're cooking, it's great. But do you sense? When it starts going downhill, too, do you sense like, okay, we're starting to lose it here. The train's coming off the track. Yeah. You, I mean, the, the, the thing about all of us is that we knew a lot about the business. So we knew when, when things were going well. We knew when it was, and we knew when it wasn't. So we did everything we could. Um, there's only so many ways you can sell, you know, you know, rest in peace, you know, Judy Bagwell on a pole matches. And, and we did the best we could. Um, but at some point, um, we, we saw that it, that it really had, had become something less than it was. But again, what WCW was when most folks now think it was at its lowest was still better than a lot of the stuff we see today, uh, a lot better. And it it wasn't nearly as bad as folks remember. I totally agree. I would take any of that over most of the stuff I see today. It's crazy. Even some of like the big important stuff going on. I was like, I'd rather take whatever WCW had going because at least WCW had a really good roster. You know what I mean? They were and they had depth on the roster. Yes, very much so. And every guy could work. I mean, Benoit, you know, he's working the mid card. You know what I mean? Eddie, Ray, Dean, Jericho, Alex Wright was really good. I mean, there's they. Ultimo Dragon, I can go on and on. I mean, the roster. And, and, uh, no, and all of the luchadors. I mean, every one of them. Ray yeah. Jr., you know, Juventud, Psychosis, and then and, and there's 20 more. They were all fantastic. Man, the, I did the roster, to me, just unparalleled. It's just unbelievable, like, roster yeah. uh, for yeah. WCW. Kevin Sullivan always says too, and I buddies with him. He always says he's like, it, you know, the little thing to, to sink the Titanic. It's like a little chink here, a little chink there. Like Goldberg losing, Starkey '97, the Hogan Sting kind of screw up, right? Do right. you see that, like, as the announcers, like, oh, I can't let that happen. Oh, like, you know what I mean? Little mistakes along the way. The, um, yeah, there were there were times when I guarantee you, we're sitting out at the announce table and we see something, and again, we didn't know what was going to happen uh, because they want the emotion to be real. And they, at that time, they really didn't want it to be real because we would have said, what are they doing? <laughs> the worst booking we've ever seen. But we didn't say that, obviously. We did everything we could to put it over. But, yeah, we, we saw that from our position. Do you think, too, like you mentioned, like creative control, do you think that the guys, like, not to say Kevin Nash booking was, was, oh, he's such a detriment, but do you think that the guys shouldn't have been booking if they're wrestling? I know th- this goes back forever with, like, oh, Dusty booking the NWA and stuff, but do you think, like, that that could be a problem? Like, that you really need one booker and, and like, the wrestler shouldn't be involved with creative? Again, the business was in transition. That The entirety of the 1990s, uh, you know, the business as we knew it was was transitioning. Now, as we look back now, 25, six, seven years later, correct. The booker should not be talent. But again, this is the same thing when, uh, you know, Bill Dundee or Jerry Jarrett in Memphis, when they were on fire and those two guys were talent, incredible talents. And, and Dusty booking Florida and Kevin booking Florida when they were talent. So you can't really say a blanket statement that a talent should not, should not be uh, the booker because we've seen too many uh, examples to the contrary. Um, But in hindsight, maybe it would have been the best call, uh, especially in the late nineties. 
What did you think, like, when Eric leaves in September of 99 and they end up bringing Russo in? Did you think, like, okay, this is going to revitalize us? Or do you think, like, okay, North North guy, he's not going to work for WSW. It's, it's a little bit different down here. No, no, I thought it was going to work. Uh, and, and it did. I mean, if you're measuring it by uh, ratings and by buy rates, uh, when, when, when Vince Russo came in, it worked. You know, people forget that, that the ratings went up. The buy rates went up, not stratospheric. We weren't winning again, but he stopped the bleeding. But at some point, when you level out at such a low level, um, there are going to be changes made, and that's what happened to Vince. And it's funny, people forget, and, and he basically is about to leave, and then 2000 hits Benoit, Eddie, Dean, Saturn, they all leave. Jeff Jarrett right. got hurt. Bret Hart's career was over. Goldberg got hurt. Remember, he smashed his arm, and he almost... Oh, my uh, God, yeah. So, I mean, it was a lot to go on all at once. I mean, it was like a disaster, 2000. It was like um, jinxed almost, cursed, WCW. Well, that's that's true. Uh, we had had a good run since 96, um, and, you know, for those four years, you know, it was almost like you know, Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads. You know, you're going to be on top until, you know, I come calling and we had our run and then the devil came calling and that was 2000. What did you think about being put on t- onto the pay-per-views? I know you, Tony and, and Mark Madden, obviously when, when Bobby the brain left, you guys reduced the pay-per-views. Is that more pressure, added pressure to you? It's like, okay, now like you're not C team, you're not B team. Like you're on the A team now. Yeah, that was fun. It was a lot of fun. I, 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 Again, I have no bad memories of working in WCW, none at all. Um, every one that I worked with, every show I did, every wrestler that I was blessed to call their their match, uh, we had celebrities and stuff coming in. That was cool. Um, yeah, just no bad memories. It was a lot of fun. Again, this was 15 years removed from me lucking into getting – a free copy of the Wrestling Observer, uh, something that I didn't even know. And 15 years later, I'm sitting out here doing uh, pay-per-views with, you know, you know, one and a half million buys. You can't beat that. That's awesome. What did you think as WCW is getting closer to the end? Are you sensing anything? Like, oh, man, like it's, like it's not getting good. You know, you're starting to tape Nitro and Thunder on the same days. It, it, like, what did you think about heading towards the end of WCW? Were you feeling it? Yeah, we knew. Um, to this day, I will use uh, the analogy of what happened with us in Orange County. And I can't remember the days. Uh, the dates, rather. But uh, and, and hear me out on this. And uh, knowing that I've got the dates completely wrong. But if you can imagine on July 1st, we're in Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon, and we've got an 18,000-seat building and 16,000 screaming fans. The next week, we're in the Mark of the Quad uh, in Iowa, in Cedar Rapids, I think, and we've got 14,000 screaming fans for Nitro. And then two weeks later, we're in... Uh, the Omni in Atlanta, and we've got 12,000 screaming fans. Every week it gets lower and lower, but from watching the television show, you wouldn't know there was one less person because we were drawing the most rabid fans. And then eventually we end up in Orange County, California, at the, uh, I think it's like the community center or something like that, and there's like 900 people for a nitro. And oh. it's, um, they're crazy loud, but it's 900 people. And two months previously, we had been playing in front of 16,000. But, you know, and so we knew we could see that. And, and the analogy and the, well, the words that I always use is we're heading for Orange County. If I see something, even in my real job or something in real life, I say, that's not going to work. We're heading for Orange County. That's that's what I'm referring to. Uh, but again, the, the 900 folks in Orange County, 
uh, were crazy, rabid, loud, and loved it and would show back up the next time. Um, but again, that's what, that's what we were dealing with. When we saw that, we knew things were really in a bad place. Was everybody just going to watch WBF or were they, were they leaving, like not becoming fans anymore? That's a good question. Um, think about this. We're here in May of 2022. Um, there was a time in the, in the time when we were beating raw and just after raw started kicking our ass that it didn't matter who was winning. There was still 10 million people watching wrestling on Monday night. Uh, and it, it varied, you know, who was watching what, but that's 10 million people watching wrestling on Monday night. The WWE now will put out a press release if they have 2 million people watching Raw. That's a fifth of the people that were watching both shows 22 years ago. So they didn't die. I'm sure some of them did, but not nearly enough to make a difference. They're not dead. They're out there. They would watch wrestling again, but something happened with the WWE and with us to where people just lost interest. And, you know, it's, it's cyclical. It's the nature of the beast. Um, will it come back? I doubt it, quite frankly, because now there's so much else to choose from between MMA and, you know, 6,000 channels on your television, including streaming services, that I think wrestling has, I won't say it's become passe, but it's not nearly positioned in the place that it was during those roller coaster cycles uh, from the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. I think it's now hit a low point, and the best that the WWE and AEW can hope for is a slight rise and to a plateau there. We'll never be back where we had 10 million people watching on Monday night. Yeah, it seems much more niche now. Yes, that's exactly right. I agree. Was the last Nitro that you guys called you and Tony, was that a weird experience? Given yeah. The fact that WBF bought you guys and Vince is going to have this show. I mean, was that odd? I mean, you guys got sold. I mean, what the, what the hell happened? You know, there <laughs> might have been some chicanery in the background because they only bought it for like $5 million. But what well, did you yeah. think in the foreground? Well, you know, we, we knew... That, that was Monday night, I think, March 26, 7, 2001. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you on the date. You're the expert on this. But when it, whatever date that was, we knew the previous Thursday. And that's it. We had wow. no idea that was coming. The previous Thursday, whatever that was, um, is when we found out um, yeah. what, was, what was going down. And we get down to Panama City Beach and uh, – it was it was surreal. Um, had never met Shane. Uh, met him. He was terrific. It, just a, a, a terribly nice guy. Had never met Bruce Pritchard, a, a great guy. Obviously, we had met Jimmy Hart a million times. He'd been one of us. But um, you know, when we found out what was going on, we were told, you know, you guys have got an hour and a half. And so then we, you know, they laid out the show and and told us what we're going to do, and Sting and Flair were going to close out the the show. And when that ended, they told us that that's it. We're not coming back to to this venue. When Sting and Flair finish and, and Vince McMahon takes over the show, we're not coming back to do anything at Club La Vila in Panama City Beach. So we go backstage and say all of our goodbyes, and it's tearful. There were a lot of tears, a lot of emotion um, while the show's still going on. And Tony comes up to me and says, uh, what time's your flight? I said, uh, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. He said, uh, cancel it. Let's drive back. So Tony and I drove back to Atlanta, leaving at like 11 o'clock on that Monday night. It's only about a five-hour drive back to Atlanta from Panama City Beach. And all we did was talk about wrestling, why we love the sport, 
how he got started, how I got started, which was completely different. He'd been around for a lot longer and a lot more than I had. I was just learning. But who our favorite guys were and angles we enjoyed. And for five hours, Tony and I just in the car just cracking each other up and laughing and reminiscing about the sport that we both loved. And that was that was how Nitro ended for me. I don't ever think Nitro ended and when it comes to me personally with Sting and Flair. As great as that was, Nitro for me ended with that car ride back with Tony. And I'd give anything to have to do that again. Wow. Pretty powerful stuff. It's pretty cool. I mean, he's telling you, just cancel it and let's, you know, let's uh, chum it up like old, you know, like old college buddies. Let's do it one last ride, one last run. Right. Exactly right. So as we head for the finish here, we head towards the wind down. I know you do end up working for WWE. I know you're on Raw with Arn Anderson and Booker T and Buff and stuff. Did you ever have a contract with them? You're supposed to work with them longer. And how come no. the chemistry didn't really work out there? No. Uh, the, the in, end of the day, I did everything that they asked me to do, which was work for two weeks. That was it. Um, um, the the whole thing was snake bit from the beginning because uh, McMahon did not want anyone from WCW getting over. Eventually, Ray Jr. and and Booker uh, had a long run in WWE uh, in spite of how they were booked. But everybody else um, was gone within a year and a half or a week and a half. Uh, that, 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 that was just sad. I mean, when you think that Vince McMahon had the hot angle of all time to, to keep the business hot as it had ever been for three years or more without even trying, but to burn it to the ground just out of what I feel is uh, vindictiveness against WCW, that's sad. That's really sad. But again, he won the war. And and, and in, in Vince's defense, Vince McMahon's defense, to the victor goes the spoils. He wins the war. He gets to write the rules. He gets to write the history. And the history is he destroyed WCW, and we're not around anymore. And it's funny. Every guy that they should have brought in to start, Goldberg, Eric Bischoff, Flair, Hogan, uh, Scotty Steiner, all those guys, you should have brought them in right then and there and had an awesome thing and, and lit the business on fire with a great invasion angle, and they completely blew it. Uh, now, there were contract issues with, with, with those talents. I'll say that. The, you know, that they couldn't work anywhere else. They would have had that is a long story, but I don't think there was any way that that list of talent that you just mentioned was coming into uh, WWE at the time. But again, they would have eventually been there. They, they were. They were all there eventually. Uh, Goldberg's still there, yeah. uh, or he was anyway. Um, but again, it was it was it was a missed opportunity. I think that's the the, the quickest way to to say it. Now, as far as like TNA, obviously, you know, you do work for you did work for TNA, and you will be working there again. Good positive experience, though, as far as TNA was concerned, and, and the Jarrett's and Russo and everybody else that was down there. With TNA, oh yeah, yeah, great, great time. Uh, total total professional organization, no question at all about the direction they were heading in. Um, I can't wait to see those guys again coming up in a month. I've been gone, wow, for 17 years from TNA. I left there in 2005, but uh, a great organization, a lot of fun. Uh, they've changed an awful lot since, uh, since I left, but no problems at all. What's next for you? Anything else? What's Besides TNA, anything else wrestling-related coming up? Uh, the TNA thing, I, I've got a legend show, the guys in Rome, Georgia that, do, that do the, uh, the superstars of wrestling legend show. They're, uh, they're firing up to, uh, to do that again. This coming October. I can't wait to do that, but that's probably going to be about it. I'll be honest with you. I'll sue. I'm 57 years old. I know I look 20, um, <laughs> And, and here's a funny story. 
I did a, uh, a thing with my high school graduation class and they saw me and you see this, this visage, they were like, gosh, you haven't changed a bit. I said, first, thank you. Second, up yours because you're saying I looked 57 when I was 22. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes. Um, so um, I, I, at 57 years old, I don't think I'm, I mean, I'm done. I let, let the kids do it. Uh, and by kids, I mean, anybody under 40, <laughs> um, they, they can run around and, and fly around the world and get a billion travel miles and, and put a, you know, a million miles a year in their car and, no, they can have that. They, I, I still love the sport. They love the sport, but I don't have the desire to do that travel anymore. Now, as far as social media, stuff like that, do you have anything you want to push or, or get out there as far as, or do you not do really social media as much? I, I, I have a Facebook thing, but I really don't do it. I don't do much. Um, if you look at my Facebook thing, you will see an awful lot of uh, professional wrestling, college football, and uh, recipes. That's about it. <laughs> so nice. I'm not, I'm not, I don't do an awful lot on there. Uh, follow my daughter. She'd, she'd, she'd be, you'll see a lot more of me on my daughter's page than, <laughs> uh, than on mine. All right, Mr. Hudson, thank you so much uh, for all time tonight. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. It was my pleasure to do it. A lot of fun. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.